Welcome to Gold with Jeanette Schneider, nuggets of inspiration for a bigger, badder, more purposeful life. Each week we share wisdom, insights, and gold from those living their very best lives. After 23 years in finance and a fancy SVP title, I retired at the age of 41 to advocate for women and girls in life, love, the boardroom, and the marketplace. Now the CEO of my own media company, my goal is to change the world for my daughter and her friends. My first book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, dropped this past fall and is based on what women wish they would have known when they were girls. This is purposeful content, big conversations, and a safe place for us to share our gold and our dreams for the future. We record each week from the sound studio at The Space LV. Travis Turner has personally and professionally moved millions of dollars into his community and raised awareness to the scourge of domestic violence around the country. His is a very personal reason. After having a gun held to his head and watching his father batter his mother, who then turned to alcohol and methamphetamine, Travis decided to become a voice for those who are unseen or hide behind dark sunglasses and fear. Travis is the Vice President of Administration for a FinTech organization and oversees their overall community and philanthropic initiatives. He just wrapped his term as President of the Trustees for the Shade Tree Shelter and serves Noah's Animal House, Executive Pride, the Marky Curry Family Foundation, the Smith Center for the Performing Arts, Fanfare, and Club Curry. Additionally, Travis is a licensed and certified life coach through the Arbinger Institute. He has been recognized as one of Las Vegas's most intriguing people, Person of the Year for the Shade Tree, and has been featured in many different articles recognizing his work and commitment to philanthropy. In this episode, we talk about the life of an adult child of an alcoholic and how those relationships either spur you to a life of intention or create cycles that have to be broken. We also talk about some really tough love advice he received from SiriusXM's Dr. Laura. This is a heavy conversation, but so necessary for those with family members who experience addiction. Let's dig in. I have with me today Travis Turner, who has been a longtime friend. We were just trying to figure out when we first met each other, and it was before I had my daughter. So 2010, 2011. And Travis, I'm so excited to have you here in the studio with me today. Thanks for having me. It's a really cool experience to be here, and you're popping my podcast cherry. So <laughs> That's awesome. I um, It was funny because Travis reached out to me after listening to one of my first podcasts and was like, hey, I want to do this with you. And I'm like, I know exactly the conversation I want to have with you. So this one's going to be pretty deep. We have some tissues on the table in between us. And just to give you a little bit of background on my relationship with Travis, um, we, I think of you, like whenever there's a nonprofit or a strategic plan that's needed or the, the hard numbers, like I think of you, you're the guy that kind of comes in you're like the cleaner is like how I think of you. And Travis has given a lot of money into our community, but he's also helped a lot of boards and a lot of organizations really build themselves back up again. And I know that you have a personal interest and love for, domestic violence causes and children who've had issues with abandonment or are in foster care. And I was just wondering if you could kind of share a little bit about your relationship with some of those organizations and why you feel so strongly about giving back in those areas. Absolutely. So, and this is all going to just unravel as we talk during our podcast today, but um, some of the, the charities that I devote the majority of my time to our domestic violence focused, um, child, uh, so the shade tree mm -hmm. in Las Vegas. I've also hosted charity events for hope house in Kansas city. And, um, of course, women and children are, are very near and dear to me. I was 
raised in a very abusive lifestyle and um, I've had guns held to my head. My mom has metal plates in her in her eyes to make up of her eye bones because of how badly she was abused and there's there's no place for any of that and I'm here to help people out there you know especially in the nonprofit sector and those that are suffering from you know domestic violence or other things to tell them that you can get through this mm. anybody can go through this type of lifestyle but it's it's up to you to choose that path yeah and i remember there was an article that was written about you several years ago it was the first time that you openly explained because everyone here in town in las vegas thinks of you you're all buttoned up with the best shoes you always have the best <laughs> shoes you're at every charity event and you're in charge of a lot of money you're you know your role is professional but you're also kind of the face of an organization's um, outreach, their philanthropic outreach. So you have the ability to change lives, not only with your advocacy and the work that you do on the boards, but you have a checkbook as well. We all know that money doesn't solve problems, but it sure is. It sure is helpful. It's energy when applied to the right to the right causes. So you've done all of these amazing things, and then all of a sudden, there's an article that comes out, and you talk about your own experience. How did the hearts and minds of people open up. What was the feedback you received after that, after that article came out where you explained your personal relationship with the shade tree and why you chose these causes? So it was really hard for me to first tell my story because I'm going to be exposing um, very soft um, emotional times in my life and talk about things that aren't ever really talked about. And I was nervous for the backlash that I could have potentially received from my family, but I finally made a decision to say, well, if I can't tell my story, I'm never going to help somebody. Mm -hmm. And if I can't show what I've been through, yes, I, I could look buttoned up right here, but inside at times I'm broken and it's okay to be broken mm -hmm. and it's okay to be human. But as long as you have that support system around you, it's what's going to help drive you. And for me, you wouldn't believe the emails and people reaching out to the shelter and trying to get my contact information because they said, thank you. Mm -hmm. You're helping me tell my story. You're helping me be okay. You're helping me get that confidence to know that life happens mm -hmm. and things are going to happen to us and it's either going to make or break you hopefully make you, mm -hmm. you know, and, and give you that, that outlet. So for me, you know, it, it was important. It's important to have people understand that it's not just areas of poverty that experience domestic violence and drug addiction and different things like that. It's it, my very first time donating my time at the shade tree. I was very confused because I saw a woman walk by and she had a Chanel purse and Louis Vuitton eyeglasses. And I was very confused. I was like, why is she here in the shelter? I was so naive mm -hmm. because I thought that it was only people that grew up like me that mm -hmm. would be in the shelter. And later the caseworker pulled me aside and said, she's beautiful, isn't she? And I said, yes, absolutely. Well, we just paid for her to get veneers and an entire brand new set of teeth because her husband knocked every single tooth out of her mouth and left her to die. Wow. And it was that moment that, that I said, 
this is my calling. Mm-hmm. I, I have to give back because I'm fortunate. Mm-hmm. I have to help people know that it's okay to not be okay, but to push through. And I think one of the beautiful things about sharing your story, I think it's, we, we shared this in common. So Travis and I knew that we had a lot in common, but I don't think we realized how much until he read my book. And it was kind of funny because out of support, you bought a case for the shade tree. I did. Just like you're like, oh, these women will really appreciate this. And I feel like you opened it and you posted something on social media or you sent me a message and you were like, I can't get through the first couple of pages. It's, it's. Oh my gosh, just going, I, I kind of choke up thinking about the book because every chapter and, and yes, it was, you know, focused for women, mm-hmm. but every chapter I found either something from, you know, one of your guest writers, you know, through the book or that a, a life lesson or, or an experience that you went through that I was like, I've been through that or I, or I know somebody or somebody in my family has experienced this and, mm-hmm. and I have lived through these trials and it's really hard to to realize that because I mean just like you said about me always being buttoned up that's you Mm -hmm. you also have the nicest heels on and you know (laughs) always when when you walk into a room it's literally all eyes on you and that's that's the way that I see it when when I'm with you Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting you know for the walks of life that we go through yeah and why we meet well, and it's so fascinating to me too because it's like, you know, listening to you talk, I'm actually, I'm, I'm wiping tears as he's talking um, because, and I love that about this medium because there's been a couple times where I've interviewed people and as they're talking, I can feel myself getting emotional and trying to like, what's the perfect thing to say after they're done talking where you can't tell that I'm crying. I'm like, I'm just going to announce it. Like, this is hard, right? Like, Rip the is, Band-Aid now. Yeah. Oh my God, this is hard. But I think for for me, what's interesting is that growing up, in a cycle of, of, we were poor. You know, I just came back from Tanzania and that was poverty. Like I didn't understand poverty until I saw it there. We were very poor. My parents were, were, um, my dad was a Jehovah's Witness minister. My mom was an alcoholic addict, right? And so I had this dichotomy of um, dysfunction that lived within our home where it's like, you have to serve God, what will people think? And then I get hit a lot and abused and mistreated. And I didn't want anyone to know any of that. Most people were surprised when they would hear about my story. And so I kept it hidden because I would see the look of like shock on their face. So I needed to look buttoned up, right? And I remember writing one time about looking down at my hands and seeing my mother's hands. I have my mom's hands. As I'm getting older, I also have her the features, like when you're starting to look in the mirror and you're like, I'm aging and you're turning yeah. into your parents and you're like, oh, oh my God, no. How do I reverse this? Right? <laughs> but I remember writing about looking at my hands and how I used to fill my hands with rings and sparkly things because I wanted to see something else besides my mom's hands. And then having my daughter, she has my hands and being like, okay, well, we're repurposing these hands, right? This isn't, the story isn't going to be about what came before me. And it was a very big risk writing the book. And I got a lot of um, angry messages from people in my life, worried about what I might say. And I had this really beautiful um, friend who said to me one day, he's like, how many people could you upset by what you've written? It's about five. He said, are those five in your life today on the daily? I said, no. Then why would you hold something back, your story from thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions, for the five people who've already left you? And I was like, oh, that's so powerful. 
And I know especially, you know, with your mom, unfortunately you had to see her suffer at the hands of abuse. Mm -hmm. My mother wasn't abused by my father. She was abused by her mother, by her parents. Um, But the cycle of addiction is a whole nother layer. Mm -hmm. It's a whole nother layer. So I'm curious when it comes to your story and your mom as you started to share your story um, and knowing the relationship that you've had with your mother over time. What was her response? How did she talk to you about the things you were starting to share? Was she supportive or was it difficult? You know, the most recent years, she was more supportive Mm -hmm. all the way until, um, you know, most recently. But she's been to charity events with me. You know, I've asked her to stand because I do believe that people change and that people can change, and it's okay to forgive Mm -hmm. and to rebuild trust. But for me, she, at the time, she she responded in a positive way, but I think that internally it was killing her Mm. because I know she's not proud of her actions and her life experiences Mm -hmm. and the things that she's done. And she has, you know, in the recent years, really suffocated me and trying to be that mom that she never was Mm -hmm. and trying to make up for lost time. And I say, you know, look, we're adults. I'm, I'm an adult now. Please don't suffocate me. You know, just, just be there. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, she, she got over the drug addiction for, I think she lasted 14 years and then she still had an alcohol issue. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's how she would drown out, you know, her, her sorrows and just why she's upset still. And, and she addicts, it's really hard for, for them to take their own responsibility and to admit that they have issues. Mm -hmm. So in discussions, it was really hard to get her to, to understand and, and to not feel threatened. She, she would always find a way to manipulate the conversation and turn it back. Well, this is why I do this and this is why I drink and this is why I did drugs and no you did it because you wanted to do it mm-hmm. and and it's hard for addicts to realize that that's so so powerful because I was thinking about that on the way here this morning because I have an opinion that I think it might be unpopular in the recovery community and that is and I, I think it's a very true thing for the child of an addict to feel that you weren't chosen that they chose their vices over you and that's one of the things that I grew up believing is that my mom chose all of these, these al- she started with alcohol and then, you know, when people were onto her, it became bottles of NyQuil and, you know, prescription drugs. And she was able to kind of ma- mask any disease in order to get the drugs that she needed in order to kind of support herself. And I, I kept thinking as a child, well, why can't you choose me, right? At what point in time can you choose me? And I I know people talk about addiction being a disease and I absolutely believe that a hundred percent. But I also think at some point in time during your disease, there has to be a moment where you look in the mirror and you have to feel like, what am I doing? Yeah. Or what choices am I making? And, And maybe it's you continue to use, but at some point in time, I have to believe in the course of the, 20-something years that I was in my mother's, you know, the 20 years I was in my mom's care, at some point in time she had to say, like, I'm choosing. And I know that's not a popular opinion, but most adult children of alcoholics that I've talked to and addicts, that's how it feels. 
Well, it's true. They they did make that life choice, and they chose to be an addict or chose a different route over raising the child that they brought into this world to be a contributing member of the society. And I can look at you and I, because we are, we contribute, mm-hmm. but it's no, it was no thanks to our parents. If anything, our parents taught us what not to do in our life. Mm-hmm. It taught us how we're going to love, but in different ways. And it taught us to rely on those that we could trust and build our own families. And I, I had the, the hardest, biggest wake-up call. I got home from Italy this past August, and I, I learned that my mom relapsed mm-hmm. on meth. And I said, what do I do? You know, I, I heard that she was going to be homeless again and, and all these things. And I, I said, I'll help you. But this is the last time, and I have stipulations that I'm going to give you. And she just completely manipulated me. And I had to make a decision. Do I want to continue to enable her, which essentially is giving her money for drugs because she's not paying her own rent? I just paid it. Right. I just paid your rent, so now you can spend your extra cash on on your meth or whatever you're using. And and I said, well, that's going to kill her if if I continue to allow that. You're you know 60 years old, mm-hmm. and making poor choices, and your heart's going to eventually explode from putting chemicals down your mouth mm-hmm. or smoking whatever. And um, I I had to make a decision: do I keep her in my life or do I let her go? And it was the first time ever that I contemplated this, you know, she's disappointed me my whole life, but I'm married, you know, is this fair for my marriage or mm-hmm. these things that, that I should, you know, continue to allow into my life. And I talked to a psychologist and she told me the hardest thing that I think that anybody would ever hear. Tell me about that because I remember talking to you directly after that conversation. So I spoke with Dr. Laura from Sirius XM Radio, and I simply emailed in, you know, like, maybe I can get some help, but I'm one of those type of people that I like straightforward, you know, discussion, and somebody that can be tough but soft with you at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I told her that I was nervous that my mother was going to die, and that she was going to be homeless, and that when this happens, that I'm going to feel guilty and responsible. Mm-hmm. And she got really upset with me just immediately. And she said, you have no right to feel guilt. You have no right to feel responsibility because this is your mother. What you have the right to feel is sad. Mm-hmm. You have the right to feel sadness. You can feel that void. And, and kind of turning back to what we were just discussing, all any child wants is to have parents and to be, be loved and feel loved. Mm-hmm. So you try really hard. And even when they disappoint you and break your heart, you always tend to run back because you want that, you want that mom. You mm-hmm. want that maternal feeling. Yeah. And believe it or not, so many children out there don't have that. But Dr. Laura said to me, she said, um, I need you to repeat this. You do not have a mother you will not have a mother and you have never had a mother. And at this point, I just had tears pouring down my face and she's like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and you're 
like, I'm still here. Did he hang up? <laughs> um, but I, I said, yeah, I'm here. And she said, well. And I repeated it. I said, I do not have a mother. I will not have a mother. And I've never had a mother. And I'm not kidding you. 150 pounds lifted off of my shoulders. As heartbreaking as that is to hear, you know, it's true. Yeah. Because she chose to do these things. And Dr. Laura said, you're not the one putting the pipe up to her mouth. You're not the one paying for her alcohol. You're not the one making her drink that bottle. Mm-hmm. She is. Mm-hmm. That's hard to hear. That's that's hard to hear that. And, and she went on and she goes, but can I just ask you? She goes, do you know why I'm pissed right now? And I said, no, I don't. She says, because I'm a fucking mom and I take being a mom seriously. And nobody ever deserves to go through that. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'm sorry, but you need to be okay with knowing that she's not there and never will be. Yeah. It's hard when you hear those things. One of the most freeing things, I'm again, tears in my eyes as I'm talking because <laughs> that's how I feel, right? Yeah. Like all I ever wanted was a mom. I remember when I got pregnant with my daughter and being like, I just want a woman to come in and a mother figure and tell me how to create a nursery and a I don't, I don't know how to love a girl, you know, because I didn't have that experience. So I had to learn how to consciously parent. But I think one of the things that helped me the most was I had to die to my expectations. I had created these kind of like, well, maybe one day, but with addiction comes manipulation. Mm -hmm. And if you listen long enough and you give them enough, enough, you give them enough paragraphs, eventually there's a sentence in there where you can see what they're trying to do, Right. And it's sad that you have to relate to your parents that way sometimes mm-hmm. or, or addicts. But you you kind of, through the emails or the phone calls or what have you, and I haven't seen my mom in about nine years. Um, but I, I still hear from her, and I, I support her financially when I can. Same thing as you. Like, I will not give you money, but I will help you in other ways, which is, you know, guilt. Yeah. And wanting to make sure that they're okay. And um, it's the only thing that you feel like you can do. Because the rest is completely out of your control. And like, you, and you kind of pull back. You, you start separating yourself. You're building a wall mm-hmm. to protect yourself because emotionally you can't, you can't go through this again. You know, we can't continue to have disappointment enter our lives. Mm-hmm. And we can control that. Right. You know, you can choose not to have that venom in your daughter's life, yes. you know, and in your, in your direct family because it's going to cause a rippling effect that isn't healthy for your lifestyle well i think the one thing is that okay so it's two things right so it's like dying to the expectations recognizing this person has never shown up as a parent for me ever 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 never so i can't expect at some point in time that they're going to pull it together and i think that's one of the things that we do in relationships across the board is that we have expectations of people that they can never meet because they do not have the tools or the understanding to be what we need them to be for us, right? We have to find that within ourselves. So that to me was one of like the hallmark moments, a watershed moment where I was like, she's never been able to do this. So why should I expect that it's going to change? The second one is is recognizing what you want to create in your life and in your family. And you become extremely protective. I know that you've become protective of your husband. Very much so. And I know that you guys eventually want to have children. Yeah. And it's almost like the preemptive strike, right? Like, I can't have this influence 
around the people that I've loved and I've built because you've built your, your family now and wanting to make sure that you keep that protected and safe. Um, so it's interesting because it's like for a long time you want it, but then at some point as you start to build that cellular family that you've, you've craved, you then also have to protect it from the thing you wanted the most. Yeah. It's insane. Because you don't want the softness and, and the angelic, you know, protection that you've created in this, you know, um, I call it barracks, you know, it's, it's like a compound and Mm -hmm. you have protection all around that Mm -hmm. and you want nothing but happiness and positive lifestyle. And the minute that you let the dysfunction into your life, Mm -hmm. Tasmanian devil just stopped by and everything's a mess and in shambles. And like your point one, I'm not kidding you. I heard this this morning. When you lower your expectations to have no expectations is when your heart won't get broken. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard. That's hard as being human because we want to have expectations. We want everybody to meet our expectations. We want to meet their expectations. But it's not realistic. Not everybody's going to ever be who we want them to be. But we have that choice to either put up with it or to invite that relationship to go away. I like the way you say that, invite that. I've said that at, at times you have to invite people to find the boundary of your porch. Yep. You have to kind of say, thank you, next. <laughs> to quote <laughs> thank up, you, Ariana. Up, yeah, thank exactly. You, Ariana. But my, so my boyfriend just recently was reading a book and he said he found the same thing. It, it was expect nothing except everything. And it's a very hard thing to do, but think about it. Like we just came back to choice. Like all we've wanted our entire lives is our parents to choose us. Yet now we're making the choices, right? You're in control. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things. After I I wrote a a blog about my relationship with my mother and how badly I wanted to be loved and to be parented and how I had to realize that not only was that not going to happen, but in a way I had her influence to think for what a great mom I am today, Yeah. right? And my daughter one time said, like, Mommy, how is it that you're such a great mom? And I said, because I think of all the things I wanted when I was a little girl. All I wanted. I remember being in church one time and just wanting affection and holding my mom's hand and being pushed away. And her saying, you know, you're a really good mommy. And I'm like, you know, just your heart explodes open because you're like, I've managed to end a cycle, right, where everything is very conscientious. But don't you find that to be the case, though? Don't you find, and this is, I guess, a question that you have to consciously select the people it, that you bring into your mm-hmm. life. Do you find that you're more boundaried and you have a hard time trusting others as you bring them in? Very much so. I I believe that everybody that um, crosses you in life is for a reason. Mm-hmm. However, the ones that you keep around are the ones that you can hand select. And the ones that don't leave are the ones that you choose as your family. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to say chosen family because everybody thinks blood relation is family but no it's it's who you choose and i think it's because of the dysfunction we were raised in yeah you know and and we we were brought up and so we're we're very protective of everything that enters our lives because we don't want we don't want um to fail we're Mm -hmm. terrified to fail we're terrified to see what we went through as children happen again Mm -hmm. and we don't want anybody to ever feel the same pain that we did yeah so 
heck yeah, we're protective. <laughs> you know, you choose your tribe. Right. And you protect it yep. until you can't any longer. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. It's, I appreciate what you said about guilt, you know, because I think one of the things that I struggle with too is as my mother ages, um, looking at her and being like, am I going to feel guilty if we don't repair this relationship? Well, this relationship has been broken since I was, my, if I remember correctly, my mother started drinking heavily when I was five. And that's when I start remembering things being hard and just thinking, I didn't, I didn't have the, the, I didn't have the ability to understand alcoholism at the time. I just knew that my mom was mean. Right. And I was like, you know what, if I haven't been able to rely on this relationship, and I think that's another thing too, is that even though they can go through the programs and things like that, there is a wariness and like, I'm not sure I can rely on you because I haven't been able to yet. So you're kind of in the periphery, right? And I've gotten to the point, it used to be that when I would hear from my mom, it would just devastate me. You know, I was just beside myself crying because she would say things purposely to hurt me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how could someone who had me, who loves me, who, who birthed me, this woman I wanted her to be, say things to purposely hurt me? Mm-hmm. And then over time, they don't hurt anymore. No. It's just, it. I mean, it, it stings, but you're not going to let that enter your body. Right. And you're not going to let it crush you because you know that it's, it's what, what's happening is natural. You know, you're, you, you're so used to it. You're so numb to it. You're numb. That's, that's exactly what you are is numb and (laughs) it's nothing. Well, and I think too, it's like, there's some awareness where it's like with me, I think I see the brokenness. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's more kind of like an acceptance and a release. Like almost, there's almost like a, not that you feel sorry, but that you're aware and you're like, I wish things could be different for you. Yeah. But they can't. No. So bless you know and and you just kind of let it kind of bounce off that barrier that you've built right kind of be like that's a and that's exactly what I did with my mom you know I said I love you I'm always gonna love you but I can't have you in my life yeah and it was unfortunate I had to block her from everything she I had to block her phone number I had to block social media because you know that era of parents that you know, that's what they think life is, is all social media. Mm-hmm. And so she was trying to get a hold of me there and then her work email. But she, she was just the way that you described your mother was, was how she was to me. And we did everything for her under the moon. She lived under our roof for years, which is very trying on a marriage mm-hmm. and a relationship. And, um, you know, she was battling a, a heavy alcohol addiction. And I was finding, you know, 750 milliliter empty bottles all over her bedroom, just hidden in mm-hmm. places, strategically hidden, rolled up in blankets. And, and she, she told me that she hated me and she, you know, that she wished that she'd never birthed me and all of these things. And I'm like, you're living under our roof. <laughs> <laughs> we are financially supporting you. We have you, you know, a 700 credit score. Now you're working for a prominent bank. Thanks to us, you know, like, what are you doing? And who says that to their children? I will never say that to my children when they come into this world. Right. But they're sick. They are. They are. And so I'm, I'm curious because I know I want, if anyone's listening to this, because I think the thing and the reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you was because if there's any children of alcoholics or addicts who are listening who haven't been able to put the words together yet to describe the situation that they're feeling and the heartache that they're feeling, um, I would like for them to get something from this, right? Like to me, that's because I know what that pain is like. 
So I'm curious, like if you could, let's start with the way I do the whole, like if you could look at your younger self, if you could give yourself advice, um, what would it be? My gosh. <laughs> advice to myself. I've, I've never thought of that. But it's like, here's here's the list. <laughs> Here, here's the book. No, it's, you know, never give up. Because if if I were to think where I should have been, I should have been a drug addict. Mm-hmm. I should have been living in an apartment still. You know, I should be all of these different things, which, hey, I don't judge people that, that live different lifestyles. I, I love everybody for, for different reasons, but... I should have followed the path that I was led in and it was alcoholism to make sure that there was beer in the fridge before milk. Um, you know, at one point I was replacing my parents' drugs with rock salt because that's what they were choosing over making sure that we had a nourishing meal or Mm -hmm. making sure that our power was going to be on. And I was terrified as a kid, you know, what's, what's going to happen to me? And I I thought that I was going to go, go in this, wrong direction and and follow that same road but if I could tell myself anything it's to to be strong and not be afraid because for a long time I was afraid Mm -hmm. I was afraid of everybody Mm -hmm. I was afraid to open myself up because I felt that if you couldn't open up to your parents and trust your parents and feel safe Mm -hmm. then you can't trust anybody that's how I initially felt. And as I grew, you know, I, I learned to, to stick towards people that were going the right way and follow those successes. Was there ever a moment where you were worried in like your years after high school or towards college, 20s, anything like that, where you were heading in the wrong direction and you kind of self-corrected? Or did you always kind of say like, this is not what I want and Scoot the other direction. No, I, I, so I certainly went down a irresponsible path of not understanding um, finances mm-hmm. and credit. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the minute you hit 18 and you're trying to put yourself through school and trying to live on your own and be a, a big boy and put on the big boy pants, but you don't have that guidance and direction, you can really put yourself in a, in a rough spot. So I, you know, I, maxed out all of my credit cards and, you know, dropped my credit score to 500, you know, at one point. And as I was graduating college, it was like, hey, you have to get your stuff together <laughs> and become a real adult, right. you know, and and credit is your most important thing, right. you know. So I, I definitely made wrong decisions. I would go out and drink, you know, with my friends consecutively and and be out until, you know, the sun was rising. But you learn quickly, especially if you're a child of an addict that you don't like to repeat yeah and you don't like to repeat things um especially if you feel a little bit of a pattern you'll pull yourself back yeah I was gonna ask you that because I find that with myself if I find that I've been going out a little bit too much celebrating a little bit too much or even if I start if I'm like I have had a rough day and I have a glass of wine or two alone I'm like (gasps) you know it's almost like you self-correct to the point of being a freak you know you're kind of like so afraid of continuing a cycle before you when you're talking about being afraid I was very scared as a child because our neighborhood was unsafe but my family was my mom was unsafe too and so I think there was I don't want that right and so like you might start doing some stupid things because you're a kid Mm -hmm. but you'd have these great moments where you're like 
I have, I have to get out of here. Yeah. I can't be here. And I don't want this. And so people ask me a lot of times, like, how is it that you've been so successful with all of the limited resources that you had and you didn't have certain, you know, you didn't have mentors in your life at a young age. You didn't have these cardinal things that most kids who've achieved what you have did. And they said, it was because I didn't want that. I never wanted to go back to that neighborhood or to that style of living. It could have been easier for us if we learned at that young age to trust others. But if you don't have trust in your household, it's really hard to make a personal connection with somebody else. Very true. So, you know, I'm sure that we could have been, you know, scholars in our younger days and been able to have all of our college tuition paid for. And, you know, but we had to struggle and do things on our own and pay for our own school. But it's you need to be trusting. That's the number one thing. And, and you have to, if you can't trust in home, give somebody else a chance because... I feel like I could have been more, you know, mm-hmm. which it's funny to always sit back and say, what else could I have done? Mm-hmm. But I'm content where I'm at, you know, that fact that I can contribute and give back and I'm not couch surfing and, you know, I'm educated and Great married. Great job and, and well-respected. Very, very much so, you know, you have to work for it though. Mm-hmm. And I, I was terrified to ever live in the slums again Mm. and my husband gets angry sometimes because he asks me sometimes when is enough enough and it's hard because when you crave not failing and want to make sure that you don't ever go back down that path Mm -hmm. it's hard for anybody to tell you otherwise I know exactly what you're talking about because you get to this point where you're you keep building and you're like I I don't need anymore but you it's this almost like I think of this little girl in this neighborhood, right? So like my advice to my younger self that I wrote about in the in the book was this five-year-old girl who lived in this very violent neighborhood. Um, our neighbor across the street was um, a trafficker and a murderer and drug dealers everywhere. I saw women beaten and abused and um, like gunshots. You know, we had actual like the actual bullet holes in the cement block of our house. And I see her just being like, I don't belong here. I got to get out. And that, that struggle, that, that trajectory, that like sheer trajectory is still there. Right. And you're kind of like, but I'm okay. <laughs> like yeah. I'm good. And yeah. the people around you are like, you're good. And you're like, I can't go back. And like, there's almost this kind of reparenting where you're like, I'm safe. I'm okay. I'm good. It will be okay. But it's the one thing that I learned. Um, I've, I've never gone to an Al-Anon meeting or Alateen or anything like that. Um, I did study a little bit about the symptoms of adult children's of, children of alcoholics and some of their traits. And I, I'm i like, yes, yes, this is a psychology that you take on. Yep, this right? is me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is absolutely hands down. This is who I am. Um, what would you, like, if you were to share your gold nuggets of wisdom and inspiration and knew that you could hit the heart of anyone that was listening, woman, man, boy, girl, wherever they are in life, based on your experiences, what would you want to leave behind? I would say my golden nuggets are don't ever judge a book by its cover. And I think I actually said that in your review (laughs) um, for your book because it's written um, towards the female audience, but it hits home. Yep. And we, we all experience tragedy and life hardships. But 
don't ever judge a book by its cover because you don't ever know who you were with. Mm-hmm. I would say you need to be more trusting of others, and we've kind of touched on that a little bit. Um, if if you feel things, you need to follow your gut mm-hmm. because your gut is usually always right. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of times that I felt uncertain about my surroundings or decisions that we were being made. And I would just follow with what I thought I knew. You know, well, this is what my parents have done, so maybe that's what I need to do. But no, follow your gut for sure. And um, education. Education is so important. And even if you can't afford it, find ways to. You need to to educate yourself to be a better person because we could have chosen Mm -hmm. to go down a different path, but we chose to educate ourselves so we can educate others and help others to get through these tough times. Because there were many times that I thought that I was going to be a Circle K clerk, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, or working at a Buffalo Wild Wings serving for the rest of my life. But you have to, you have to, Spend time on yourself and really follow your dreams. Yeah. And um, it's really silly to, to think, but, you know, New Year, everybody puts a vision board together, you know, so many people, but it really works. Because <laughs> it, it helps you drive. And, and a lot of people say that, it, that it's real funny, but no, it, if, you, if you put your goals in front of you and you set milestones, you're going to reach them. So think about it. I think of it from this perspective, right? You talked about education. Education, absolutely paramount. Um, I interviewed a girl from Mozambique who was saying that once you have it, they can't take it away from you, right? She wanted to be someone and not be the victim of child marriage. So she got ed- she became educated, and now she's doing amazing things. Education, absolutely, but working on yourself too, right? So you've already said that you thought that you were going to be like a drug dealer or circle. I was like, I should be a crack whore. I mean, based, <laughs> stripping. Yes. You know, yeah. Like the 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 big thing. If you got a job as someone's assistant at a tire shop, and you like booked the appointments, that was success, right? Like, not saying that any of those jobs are bad. If you're absolutely, but that was that was up here, right? That was like, oh, well, you got a like you got a job. You're not having to do anything, you know. I don't know. It just. I think self-reflection and looking within and understanding, especially if you come from a situation where you're surrounded by dysfunction, abuse, alcoholism, addiction, whatever it may look like, mental health issues, you have to find the difference between them and you. And I'm not saying them, your parents necessarily, but there was a time where the, the veil between that life and me was very, very thin. And it would have been easier just to let it suck me back in. Yeah. And just to be like, okay, well, this is my, I'm going to be shopping at a scratch and dent store for the rest of my life. Um, And I have a story of lack, hardship being put upon and being used. And that's just my story, right? But at some point in time, you have to like kind of say, okay, wait a minute, but that's her story. My mom's story was this. My dad's story was this. Mental health, yes, it affects this person, but I, what can I do to be healthy? And I think that's the one thing. Like, if, if anyone leaves this and they're still in a situation with an abuser or still in a situation with an addict, 
see that find the veil find the difference between you and them and start plugging away at that part of yourself that sees more that intuition yeah that gut that tells you that you don't belong there and work on yourself because as a child you really don't have that opportunity to make those choices but as you mature and become older it's okay to invite others out of your life Mm -hmm. just the same way that you invite them in but it's it's hard to learn that lesson you know and and you're gonna break hearts you're gonna hurt people here and there but it's because you're making the right choice for you and then one day you're gonna look back and realize it shouldn't have been any other way the people that were huge pillars in your life when things were bad you're going to realize the the new pillars are strong and shiny and better for you and create a bigger and i just think like knowing that you're ending a cycle and raising children with purpose and creating the life that you want um it never quite ends right there's still that storyline there's still the the kind of the emails or the phone calls or the reminders um and that's okay too yeah but to know that yes you're a piece of biology of the venom but it's up to you to write what's in between the cover i love it yeah beautiful Thank you for sharing your heart with me today. Thanks for having me. I cried more than you did. I know. I only teared up a little bit. Usually I cry so much. I saw you start to tear up around the, when you're talking about Dr. Laura. Yeah. And I was just like, Here it goes. I I know, know. but I've had a tissue almost the entire time. And I think it's because I knew that this conversation was going to be heartfelt. And I think it's probably the most vulnerable parts of both of us. Yeah. Um, so I just hope, 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 hope that anyone that's listening that either has an addict in their life or they're suffering, that you start making the choices. Exactly. Thank you. I hope that this episode gave you a little insight into the mind of an adult child of an alcoholic and their perpetual heartbreak, whether it is you or someone you love. If it is you, I see you. I hope you find some comfort in the advice offered to learn how to take care of yourself, create boundaries, and drop expectations. Wrap yourself up in the love, life, and the family that you create. It has taken me decades to find my own truth after living a life in the shadow of a severely addicted parent. If you'd like to dig into the work, I walk you step-by-step through the process in my book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, now on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. As always, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. I'm always interested in content that uplifts, so if you have things you'd like to hear about, please share them with me in the comments. You can also find me on Instagram at ms.janetteschneider or Twitter at msjwrites. If you want some help moving toward that intentional life, join me every week on my intention-setting journey. I'm inviting you, totally free, from my heart to your inbox. Sign up for my love notes at JeanetteSchneider.com, and before you even wake up on Monday mornings, there will be a huge dose of motivation waiting for you. Yes, I will wake you up on Monday morning with intention-setting prompts and give you some tips as to what is setting my soul on fire. On Fridays, I'm going to remind you to let go, recharge, and love yourself up with some self-care prompts to get present in your downtime intentional living is where it's at y'all until next time in the words of my grandma love each other every day